Thank you for the scripture reading tonight. We're going to be looking at Luke 22, the passage that was read a moment ago. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 39 down through verse 46. Before we begin, I do want to express, your, uh, express appreciation for your presence tonight. As always, we appreciate you coming. We're glad that we've had a great day. We've had a number of visitors come our way. For that, we're always grateful. We're always thankful for those that come, and especially those who desire to become a part of the work here. If you're here tonight and you'd like to be a part of this work, I know the elders would be more than happy to sit down, answer any questions you might have about how you could be involved in the work here. Tonight, as we look at Luke chapter 22, we're specifically going to be looking at the account that is given of Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane, praying with the cross looming before him. Last week in our study, we talked about the death of Jesus, and tonight, I want us to back up and look at the events that took place prior to his crucifixion on Calvary. And the thrust of our lesson tonight has to do with the various battles that we face in life. And if you look at Luke chapter 22 and the other accounts, you'll find that Jesus on this occasion is in what we would call the heat of battle. And how he handled this particular battle was by going to God in prayer. And so what I want to suggest to us tonight is that the way we face the battles of life ought to be on our knees in prayer to God. I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about the decision that was made by Jesus to pray about the cross. Jesus made a very definite decision to pray about the cross that was looming before him. I want to begin this point by talking about the place where Jesus prayed. Luke tells us in verse 39 that coming out, that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. The Mount of Olives was located not far from Gethsemane. As a matter of fact, Gethsemane being located on the western side of the Mount of Olives. And Luke tells us that it was customary for Jesus to go to this place. And I think about how many of us have maybe specific places that we will often retreat to when we're under duress or when we have decisions to make. It might be that we're looking for a quiet place to just gather our thoughts, to meditate on what's before us, maybe even to pray. So Jesus chose a place that he was typically used to going, the Garden of Gethsemane. And there were some people that accompanied Jesus to the garden. Now Matthew tells us, along with Luke, that his disciples made this trip with him. I want to suggest that eight of the disciples were said to have been stationed at the entrance of the Garden of Gethsemane. There were three very specific disciples that went with him, Peter, James, and John, and they formed 
a very close-knit relationship with the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you'll see that they were what some have called the inner three. They spent a lot of time with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about when Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop. Peter, James, and John accompanied him there. And they heard that voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And so they're with him. And they accompany him into the garden. And the text tells us in verse 39 that his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now you'll recall... Judas Iscariot had gone to betray the Lord and he betrayed him with 30, for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was not present on this occasion. And following the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, Matthew tells us that the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus, interested in their spiritual well-being, encourages them on this occasion to pray that they might not enter into temptation. And then, as I think about Jesus in Gethsemane, I'm reminded of the purpose why Jesus went to pray. The purpose, as you well know, the cross was looming before him. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that I can understand everything that was racing through the mind of Jesus on this occasion. As a matter of fact, I know I can't. It's difficult for me to, to wrap my head around the fact that here is Jesus, the Son of God. And he's about to offer himself as that sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God for the sins of the world. And by the way, that was the very purpose that he came into the world. You remember John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus, upon seeing him on one occasion said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was... The just dying for the unjust. And as Peter said, the purpose was to bring us to God, that he being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Paul said, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So you have to understand that Jesus is praying in the shadow of the cross. His mind is heavy. As a matter of fact, he is deeply disturbed at this hour. Back in John chapter 12, Jesus had asked the question, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But he said, For this purpose, I came to this hour. During the ministry of Jesus, he had often talked about how his purpose, his intent was to fulfill the will of God in heaven. And so here he is, in the shadow of the cross, praying before God the Father. Verse 41 tells us that when Jesus was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and prayed. And so, at the very onset, he makes the decision to pray about the cross. And then, there are some distinctive things that are said about his prayer as it related to the cross. First of all, let me share with you the sorrow that Jesus was experiencing. 
Turn back very quickly and look at Matthew's account in chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36, Matthew tells us that Jesus had come to the place called Gethsemane. As I mentioned a moment ago, he had taken with him Peter, James, and John, John and James being the sons of Zebedee. And the text says that it began to be sorrowful. Some, some translations say exceedingly sorrowful. And the idea is that he was very sad. He was burdened, as we would say. The text goes on to say not only was he sorrowful, but he was deeply distressed. And so Jesus is in the garden. His heart is filled with sorrow. No doubt many, many thoughts are flooding his mind as he thinks about, as he anticipates the torture that is before him. Now, as I said a moment ago, it's difficult for me to wrap my mind around all the things that are going on at this hour. Particularly as I think about Jesus was fully man and fully God. And so you have this God-man praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and from the human vantage point, you understand the sorrow, the distress, the grief that is before him. But note, if you would, his supplication to the Father. He said, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Think now about Jesus praying. The cup of suffering is before him. A little bit later, Luke, as well as the other writers, will very graphically talk about his arrest, his trial, which was nothing short of mockery, the inhumane treatment that Jesus received, the scourge, the crown of thorns that was plaited and placed upon his head, the slapping, the mocking, and then the crucifixion. And Jesus hanging upon that cross, trying to breathe, and dying for the sins of the human family. So Jesus here says, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Now, God had a plan in place before he ever made man. Peter said that Jesus was foreordained before the world began. In other words, Jesus was in the mind of God, the sacrifice of Jesus in the mind of God before he ever made the world or man. John alludes to the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So when Adam and Eve transgressed the will of God in the Garden of Eden, God immediately began unveiling this plan to redeem the human family. And so, as time marches on, Jesus makes his entrance into the world. And Paul would say in Galatians chapter 4 that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And Matthew says, quoting Isaiah, that he was Emmanuel, God with us. The purpose, the announcement that was made concerning the purpose of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, 
For it is he that shall save his people from, from their sins. Now I want you to think for a minute. Jesus knows what's about to happen. And I think about the humiliation, the heartache, the unbelievable suffering. The fact that he is going to bear the sins of the human family. Sometimes we talk about responsibilities resting upon our shoulders. And I understand that there are some people that carry great responsibilities because of their position in life. The president has an awesome responsibility. But you think about Jesus Christ. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is bowing before God the Father. And he's saying, if there is any other way that your will can be accomplished, then let it come to pass. The sins of the human family, past, present, and future, resting upon the shoulders of one man, that one man, Jesus, the Son of God. So you think about the entirety of God's creation, dependent, on one person, that one person, the Lamb of God. Do you remember what Peter said? That Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. He said, by whose stripes we were healed. When we go to bed at night, we ought to give thanks to God. That Jesus was willing to fulfill the will of his Father. To shed his blood. To give his body as a sacrifice. I think about the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 10. When he said, sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you have prepared for me. The Hebrew writer said, by the which will we have been, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Think about all the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, the blood that was shed. And occasion after occasion, animals would be slaughtered. Blood would be shed to atone for the sins of man in anticipation of the coming of Christ. And So now here is God's Lamb, God's Son. Prior to the coming of Jesus, sin was forgiven in anticipation. But now sin will be forgiven in the most absolute sense of the word. So when we're obedient to the gospel, as Peter said, we enjoy the remission, the remitting of sins, the forgiveness of sin. Paul said we enjoy the washing away of sin in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. All of that dependent on the blood of Jesus. That's why Peter said we've been redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. No wonder Paul would say that it's in him that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You think about the grace of God, the fact that God in heaven drew up this plan. He was the architect of it. And God in heaven thought enough of his creation to devise a plan, and that plan included His only Son. And so Paul could say in Romans chapter 8 that God spared not His own Son. 
but freely gave him up for us all. That sacrifice. And that speaks to us about the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God. No wonder Paul said, to the praise of the glory of his grace, when we've been made accepted in the beloved. And then note, if you would, the submission of Jesus. The text tells us in verse 42 that Jesus prayed, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. I would point out that three times Jesus uttered these sentiments. If it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but he qualified it with this important statement. Not my will, but yours be done. The most difficult part of prayer is submitting to the will of God, isn't it? Willingly acknowledging that God is in control. You know, John said in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, what does He do? He hears us. And so, Jesus is submissive to the will of Almighty God. What was God's will? That He die for the sins of the human family? Was there, any, was there any other way that the will of God, the redemptive plan, could be accomplished? The answer was no. I think there's a lesson there for us. We, we talk about prayer. And we think about all of the prayers that we offer to God, and sometimes God says yes, doesn't He? Sometimes God, in His infinite wisdom, says no. Sometimes God says, you know, you know what, you need to wait. You're not ready. When Jesus prayed to the Father, how did he respond? The Hebrew writer said, Who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who is able to save him from death. And the Bible says he was heard. How did God the Father respond to Jesus? You know what he said? There's no other way. God in heaven said no to His own Son. So if God in heaven could say no to His Son, what should that say to us when God says no to us? There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that has to do with the distress of Jesus as He prayed about the cross. And first, I want to call attention to the agony of Jesus. In verse 43, of course, the text tells us that Jesus was strengthened by an angel from heaven. And I think that enlightens us to the emotional, mental, and physical duress that Jesus was under. In verse 44, the Bible says, And being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. The word agony here is a very interesting term. It carries with it the idea of a gymnastic exercise. It denotes emotional, severe emotional, mental strain. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been 
battling something in life. Maybe it's some type of sickness. Maybe it has to do with some type of financial problem that you've, that you've experienced or are undergoing. Maybe it has to do with your job. Maybe it has to do with a classmate. Maybe it has to do with how you're dealing with temptation and the pressures of life. But all of us are faced with battles on a daily basis. Sometimes those battles are raging. And I think about there are times in life when we are struggling mentally. It's like a gymnast exercising, exerting himself or exerting herself. And that's the picture here. Jesus is under extreme duress. And he's battling because the cross is before him. But I want you to know how he battles. How he battles is characteristic of Jesus. I said a moment ago, back in verse 39, that Jesus was accustomed to going to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. He would often retreat there. And you think about how Jesus lived. Jesus died just like he lived. You know how that was? In prayer. How did he face this enormous battle? Here he is going to the cross and he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. There is no one, absolutely no one, past, present, or future, that will ever bear the responsibility resting on the shoulders of God's only Son. And so here is Jesus. He is bowing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to God. And you can just imagine the intense struggle, the mental anguish, as Luke said, being in, being in agony, he prays more earnestly. Jesus often prayed in life. Go back and look at what the record says about his life. In Mark chapter 1, verse 31, Mark tells us that Jesus, on one occasion, arose very early in the morning. He went out to a solitary place, and there he prayed. In Luke chapter 5, and about verse 16, the Bible talks about how Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for the purpose of praying. In Luke chapter 6, before he designated 12 men to serve as apostles, special ambassadors, do you know what he did? He spent the night in prayer to God. John chapter 17 you see, Jesus, again, we talk about bowing with the cross looming before Him, praying for all that would believe on Him through the words of the apostles that we might be one, praying for us, that there would be unity among all who believe on Him. Prayer was characteristic of the life of Jesus. And so when He faced the battles of life, where did He face them? How did He face them? On His knees. So I would ask you tonight, how should we face, how should we fight the battles of life? Whatever battle you're in, whatever battle you face in life, I want to encourage you, 
Fight your battle on your knees. The Bible talks about the blessings of prayer. And you think about the opportunities that we have to pray. You see, I think that Jesus was able to accomplish God's will. He was able to achieve God's will because of His willingness to fulfill the will of God and through His willingness to bow in the presence of God and pray. I mentioned a moment ago what Luke tells us in verse 44, that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. How often in life when the battles are raging and life is upside down and things are turbulent and we're being tried and tested and tempted, the more agonizing the things that we're facing in life, the more time we ought to spend in prayer. And sometimes rather than dig deeper and pray more earnestly, what do we do? We retreat. We forget to pray. We forget to read God's Word. We forget to meditate on what the Scriptures have to say. I mentioned a moment ago Hebrews chapter 5, where the writer talked about Jesus, who in the days of His flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death. I want you to think about Jesus praying to God the Father, and He is weeping. He is shedding tears. The human side of Jesus. When you cry, when tears course your face, when you're upside down and you're fighting a raging battle and you don't know which way to turn, and you're praying to God for guidance and direction, does God understand? Does the Lord understand what you're going through? Let me just call attention to a passage. I want you to look at it with me very quickly in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 10, if you don't have this underlined, I would encourage you to mark it in your Bible. The writer said, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's what makes Jesus so unique. But note if you would what he says. Jesus has the ability to sympathize with our weaknesses. Does Jesus understand? Yes, he does. How does he understand? Because he's been here. He's lived life. He's experienced the trials, the temptations, the tears, the difficulties of life. And so in light of all of that, here's what the writer said. Let us, that's you and me, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That's prayer. That means when we're fighting the battles of life, what God is saying is you get down on your knees and you offer up prayer. Well, why should we do this? Listen to what he says. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All of us, We'll face times in life when we need divine help. It may be the case that there have been times in your life and you can go back in your mind and you can take a mental journey and you can reflect upon those times in your life when you needed God and you needed His help and His guidance and His direction and His comforting hand. And you look back and you reflect upon it and you realize that God got you through. Well, the Hebrew writer is telling us 
Jesus Christ is there for us, isn't he? And he can get us through. The Bible tells us when we bow to the Father in prayer that we can expect grace and mercy in time of need. Let me tell you what, that's encouraging. When I think about what Jesus accomplished, the fact that he was willing to go to, go to the cross, the fact that he was willing to bear up and to bear our sins, it's an amazing thought. And so Luke tells us, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Isn't it interesting that he closed by encouraging them to pray? Don't you think Jesus, that Jesus knows and understands the power of prayer I would hope and pray that we do. There are an abundance of passages of Scripture that encourage us to pray too very quickly. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul said, pray without ceasing. And I really believe that what Paul is saying is that prayer ought to be characteristic of how we live. We ought to live, we ought to face life every day, day in, day out, night and day in prayer. And then there's Colossians chapter 4. In verse 2, where Paul said, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving, to be resolute or resolved, to have a steadfast demeanor. We're going to pray to God, come what may. I close tonight by saying life can be very tough. And quite frankly, life can be cruel. And there are a lot of heartaches and hurts and ills and sorrows and trials and tribulations and tears that we experience here on planet earth and quite honestly I don't have an answer for everything that goes on here on planet earth I can go back and I can look at the inception of sin the introduction of sin into the world and I can trace the sorrows and the heartaches and the deaths of this world back to that event but I know this that as long as we live here on planet earth, we're going to have battles to face and to fight. And when we fight those battles, we need to fight them on our knees. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for the privilege and the power of prayer, for the many prayers that are answered on our behalf. We're grateful that you have given us an avenue to communicate unto you the feelings of our heart. We ask, Father, that you would give us the wisdom that we need to trust in you and to rely on prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to begin that life tonight, to do what they did on Pentecost Day when Peter said to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Luke said in verse 41 of chapter 2 that some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel and God added them to the church. Those who are in the church are among the saved, Ephesians 5.23. It may be that you're here tonight and you're not living as you should. 
We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. We understand that the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why not come tonight as we stand and sing?